Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Yeah, I gave it, up, uh, it looked like he sprained his wrist, so fell on it early in the game and then felt it on the touchdown pass. Did you know, did you Not that I'm aware of. I have no idea. I, uh, all the information I have is, is two seconds worth, and then we went to go try to find to, find to win the game. Several consequential injuries on Thursday night in Baltimore. The potentially biggest of which would be Joe Burrow, although we already know Mark Andrews, the great Ravens tight end, will be out for the rest of the year with a serious ankle injury. Peter King is in Baltimore. It's either a coincidence that he was in Baltimore or he's in Baltimore for the game last night. Just like I will assume the wrist wrap that we saw Joe Burrow wear Wednesday was not a coincidence. I'll assume Peter's presence in Baltimore is not a coincidence. Good morning, Peter King. Mike, yeah, that was an eventful game. I, I'll tell you, I was in the, I was at the stadium in the Ravens locker room probably till about twelve forty-five. It was a late, it was a late night. But um, Mike, there's so much. We, you know how we usually milk the Thursday night game for about 57 minutes. We're going to need an hour and 57 minutes today. <laughs> uh, but but I think the headline will be, here's what's weird about the Joe Burrow injury. So he's got this wrist wrap, which everyone now has seen in a Sapruder kind of film way. We've all seen <laughs> that he was wearing something. Yeah, there it is. He's, he's wearing something on his wrist. So his wrist or his hand, there's something going on there. And Mike, about an hour and a half before the game, I'm sitting in the press box looking down, and there is Joe Burrow throwing bullets all over the field like he's Dan Marino in his prime. And so I enter the game. I'm thinking, well, you know, whatever that was, he's he's okay, apparently. And then the game happens, and he's not okay, apparently. So, you know, 
someone with the Ravens last night said to me, boy, I'll tell you what, they're going to have to look into this injury reporting, aren't they? And I said, well, I think Mike Florio was already looking into it as of about 8 o'clock tonight (laughs) because I saw your tweets last night and I saw your story. But, yeah, the NFL is going to definitely have to look into this. Well, they have to look into it, but the question is, what will they do about it? Will they just accept whatever story is given to them by the Bengals and move on, or will there be something meaningful done? There have been multiple examples this year of violation of the letter and spirit of the injury report. It used to just be they violated the spirit of the injury report. Now they're just flat out not disclosing injuries. The Eagles never put a single time all season long on the report Jalen Hurts' knee injury, even though everybody knows he's got a knee injury. Everybody knows it, and he's never been on the report. Just yesterday, we wrote at PFT about comments from Doug Peterson, the Jaguars coach, and Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars quarterback, that Lawrence's knee is still injured. He hasn't been on the report since week eight, and his knee is still a problem. So the report, as it currently stands, is worthless and unreliable, and it's just some sort of window dressing to create the impression that there's transparency Meanwhile, what it means, Peter, and, you know, I love and I hate social media because I get a lot of entertainment out of the morons who just don't understand what the issue is and they want to call you a hall monitor or whatever the case may be. Look, there's a major scandal just waiting to happen because of the fact that 99% of us don't have access to the truth. 1% do. And the 1% can make a nice little pile of money over time by capitalizing on the fact that they know the truth when no one else does. That inside information has value. And these incidents from Hertz to Lawrence to Burrow prove that inside information exists. Now, look, anybody who saw that video Wednesday night and was willing to apply common sense and not think it's some device for using his tablet. That was one of the cockamamie excuses on social media. Oh, it's just a device for using his tablet on the plane. Okay, sure. Go ahead and think that. But at least we knew, there's the Zapruder version, at least we all knew something was amiss and we could have acted accordingly if and when we were betting on the game. And yet again, I say, thank God I have no inclination to wager my hard-earned money or soft-earned money, as the case may be, on these games because, number one, you never know what's going to happen, and number two, only a select few know the truth. Yeah, and I will bet you right now, Mike, that the Bengals will bring out video of him throwing the ball around like he's Dan Fouts or Dan Marino before the game and say, see, there was nothing wrong with Joe Burrow. I think that's what they'll say. And what will the NFL say to that? Uh, What the NFL should say, obviously, is um, if a guy at a really important position or at any position, quite frankly, uh, has a hand brace, a wrist brace, whatever the thing is called on during the week, he's got to be on the report. Even if you list him as probable, he's got to be probable parentheses hand slash wrist end of parentheses. And and look, you know, I think you and I will say that teams have been maneuvering and playing games with the injury report forever. But the fact is, it needs to be taken seriously. It needs to be taken more seriously 
than it has been this season. Exactly, because now gambling is legal. Now the NFL is pocketing millions upon millions from the sports books. The NFL didn't have to do business with the sports books. The NFL didn't have to open up a giant bag and let all the cash possible from the sky fall into it. That goes all the way back to week one when the commissioner was being interviewed by Mike Tirico and he created this impression that the Supreme Court said we have to be in this space. You don't have to be in this space. The fact that gambling is legal doesn't mean you have to go out and grab every last penny you can get. Now that you are, it makes it more important that there be integrity, not just of the game. We hear that all the time, Peter. Integrity of the game. Integrity of the game. Integrity of the wagering on the game is just as important. The process for people making bets has to be pristine. It has to be like buying stocks. No inside information. No one rigging the system. No one putting their thumb on the scale. No one selling inside information to others or, as they call it, in the world of the SEC, not the Southeast Conference, but the Securities and Exchange Commission, material non-public information. I think they don't do anything about it, Peter, because they don't know where to stop or they don't know where to start and they don't know where it would end. It's too big of a project. It's too much to do. It's too hard to police it. So they just stick with this bare minimum and they say that'll be fine. And they just keep going forward ignoring the problem that they have. And yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. The, the, oh, oh, he was fine. Look, look at him throwing. He was fine. Well, you know, like I broke something on my mom's when I was a kid and I glued it back together and it sure looked fine until I bumped it again and it shattered everywhere. I mean, that he's fine until he lands on his wrist in a way that looks fairly innocuous and all of a sudden he can't throw a football. So yeah, it was fine until he aggravated the injury, the pre-existing injury that they had hidden. And, Peter, here's the key fact. He didn't speak to reporters after the game. The only players who are exempt from speaking to reporters after the game are those who have concussions. Just because he has a wrist injury doesn't give him a pass. He should have spoken to the reporters, and the fact that he didn't tells me he didn't want to lie to everybody, or even worse, he didn't want to tell the truth. Yeah, usually guys don't speak to reporters when they're hurt. You know, and he was hurt last night. And you're right about that, Mike. Uh, I don't know what he would have said. Uh, and he's probably better for himself and for the organization not speaking. But you can see by that video right there, after he threw his touchdown pass, which, by the way, sailed like a wounded duck, and then he went to the sidelines, he just couldn't throw it anymore. Mike, I think there's one other issue to be brought up here, and that is that Look, I think every opponent understands coming into a game that uh, your your foe is not necessarily going to be altogether uh, forthcoming with the physical condition of their team. But if there is going to be such a thing as an injury report, and if there is going to be such a thing as uh, trying to be at the very least, uh, you know, on the surface, honest about the injury report, then it appears to me, unless there is an absolute show during the game last night that you can show me on this particular play, Joe Burrow was injured from scratch, from nothing then let's talk about that. But the fact is, if he's wearing something on his hand or his wrist coming into the game, 
then that should be listed at least as if he's going to play. And you know he's going to play. Just put hand, wrist, probable. That's what you do. But you don't not have him on the injury report. And, you know, the psychology of keeping it hidden. And they got rid of probable seven or eight years ago. It's just questionable, doubtful, or out now. And even if you just put him as questionable, we see that all the time. Teams will have 20 guys as questionable. And and five of them will stay home if it's a road game, and 15 of them will show up and play. And, yeah, what's the harm in just putting it on the report? I said that with Jalen Hurts. Who does it harm? Now, the fear is that what you're going to do, it's the old-school pre-Bounty Gate mentality that floats around that nobody talks about anymore, that when the defense knows that there's a target on someone's body part, the way they'll say it is, we got to test that knee. We got to test that wrist. We got to test that ankle, which is code for saying we're going to try to knock this guy out of the game by going after the body part that we know is injured. And again, they don't say it out loud anymore, Peter, but you and I know damn well they still think it. Hey, look, you know, it happened, uh, what now, 14 years ago with the Saints and Greg Williams in the infamous, uh, you know, Saints scandal, obviously the bounty gate scandal. But Mike, I, I I think sort of to put a bow on this from here anyway, it's that I think there's enough, there are enough ways to gain an advantage during a game and during the run-up to a game without not being as forthcoming, at least in some minimal way, uh, as you should be in an honorable game. And look, you talk about going after a player. I I will just tell you this. And again, I'm not going to be naive here, Mike, because I understand that it's in many ways, it's kind of the law of the jungle, (laughs) you know, and, 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 and I understand that. But in my opinion, there is too much respect among players on these teams for anybody on the Baltimore Ravens or for John Harbaugh to to nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, with his defensive staff or with Jadavian Clowney or Roquan Smith or Kyle Van Noy or whoever, you know, to say to him, hey, listen, uh, you know, Burrow's got a bad wrist. Uh, let's, let's see if we can hit him around a little bit early. You know, I just... I, I got to tell you, I just don't think that exists right now. I just don't. And I think for anyone to suggest that what happens in the course of a game, you know, that players on the opposition are going to intentionally try to hurt a franchise quarterback, I just don't think it exists anymore. And that's why, to me anyway, you do not find what you might have found 14 years ago with the New Orleans Saints. Hey, let's rattle around Brett Favre and get him out of there. Or, or you know, whatever it is that was said in that team meeting before the the, the Saints-Vikings game. Yeah. Uh, here's $10,000, knock him out of the game. That's what was said, yeah. allegedly. At least that's yeah. what the NFL concluded. Now, Peter, I- I'll say this. If you're, if you're right, if you're right, Teams like the Bengals and the Eagles and the Jaguars aren't ready to make that leap of faith because that's the only reason to hide these injuries. 
you take away any incentive. And all it takes is one guy who reads the injury report. He doesn't need to be told by his head coach, hey, you know what? There's a target on this guy's wrist or knee or whatever. He reads the report himself, and he's like, all right, well, we'll see, we'll see how that wrist is. We'll see how that wrist holds up because there's a separate issue from this idea of intentionally inflicting injury on someone and gaining a very real advantage as it relates to a hard-fought AFC North if all of a sudden a game that you might have lost to the Bengals becomes a 14-point victory, which was 21 points up until garbage time because the team doesn't have Joe Burrow. And that's the way it always was, and it was open. That's what's so weird about it. 50 years ago, it was open. You're not getting the team's quarterback out of the game, you're more likely to win. And the whole thing about Bounty Gate was, you know, it's not like they were doing a a, a Tanya Harding, Jeff Galuli, you know, around the corner on the way to the stadium. It was within the confines of the game, and a lot of the hits were clean. Some of them weren't. But there's that strategic advantage. We're trying to get to the Super Bowl. If Brett Favre's out of the game, we're more likely to go to the Super Bowl. So, look, I think it's subsided. But if it was truly gone, if it was truly eradicated, and all the coaches believed it, they would act accordingly and disclose these injuries. The fact that the injuries are still hidden tells me there's still a fear out there that somebody's going to test that wrist, test that knee, and potentially put the guy out of the game when he could have continued to throw darts all over the place like you saw in pregame. So, and let me say one last thing before we move on to other issues from the game. There's one very important reason why I harp on the injury reports. In today's climate, with gambling legalized, with so much inside information out there that can be bought, that can be manipulated, that can be utilized, I don't want, I got enough to do. I don't want to cover the NFL's equivalent of a Tim Donahue scandal. I don't want to be on NBC Nightly News and MSNBC and having a comment about this and write a whole side tributary of stories about this ongoing prosecution, litigation, regulation, all coming from one big giant scandal fueled by, Peter, the existence of this rampant inside information that somebody, you know, a coach is selling it, a player is selling it, an agent is selling it, somebody's selling it, somebody's buying it, somebody's trafficking in it. This, you know, it's just out of nowhere, we hear this report of some massive controversy that's going to suck all the oxygen out of what other, otherwise we're trying to do. I don't want that. And I want the league to take it all as seriously as we do. That's all I want. Well, all I know is that coming out of last night's game, they're going to have to ask this question. That's all there is to it. They're going to have to ask this question. What was Joe Burrow's status? Did he miss any practice time? What was he like? Was he getting treatment during the week on his hand? Uh, What exactly was the story? And if the Bengals can point to where he was actually injured during the game, Okay. And they can point to a severe and sincere injury during the game. They're going to have to find that. Otherwise, in my opinion, you're right. The NFL has got to jump into this and basically say, stop fooling around with the injury reports. Prediction, the end result is going to be that the NFL will say Joe Burrow took every snap in practice all week. There's no record of any treatment being given to Joe Burrow by the team. The team had no knowledge and no reason to believe that Joe Burrow had any sort of injury, never mind the fact that the team took the video 
of Burrow getting off the plane with the wrist, posted it and deleted it. They will make an excuse and move on and give them a stern finger shake, never do this again, because they don't want people beyond the boundaries of the sport to notice what's going on and say, something's not right there. Specifically, prosecutors, specifically, I know Congress is a mess right now, and you know they can't even tie their shoes without fighting with someone, but you don't want external governmental bodies getting involved. So I think they'll find a way to say nothing to see here and move on. And so we move on into what we got to see last night from the Baltimore Ravens in that 34-20 victory. Lamar Jackson had an injury during the game. It was obvious. He was in the tent. He had some sort of a device on his left ankle later in the game. He would hobble from time to time. He would just kind of self-sack or self-tackle himself at times when maybe he thought the ankle had been aggravated in some way. Here's the hit along the sideline. It was Logan Wilson who was in on the Mark Andrews hit, the Lamar Jackson hit, and the Odell Beckham Jr. shoulder injury late in the game. And we didn't know what the issue was at first. I didn't know at first. I didn't know if it was his wrist, his arm, his what. But then it was clear there was something with the ankle. And, uh, and he came back and played. And he played well, Peter, with that ankle injury. We'll see how the ankle feels this morning when he gets out of bed. That's the thing about an ankle. The adrenaline keeps it going for a while. And then you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and you can't walk. So we'll see what the status of Lamar Jackson is moving forward. They get a few extra days before their next game. But he found a way to play through that ankle and be just as effective as he would have been if he hadn't had that ankle injury at all. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat. Protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I spent about 10 minutes with... uh with Jackson last night after the game, um, he was very, very clear that he's fine. He's going to be fine. And in fact, the odd thing was I had to really wait for him for a while, Mike. He uh, went into, I think he went into a back room and I think he went in to get some treatment uh, while I was waiting to speak to him. Uh, But I watched him, I don't know, for parts of a half hour, you know, come in and out, not limping, not favoring the ankle. So who knows? But you're probably right. You see on that, look, I don't know if we're going to get into heavily the whole hip drop tackle aspect of this game last night. 
But a lot of people were saying it wasn't only Mark Andrews, but it was also a hip drop tackle uh, on Lamar Jackson, which I really don't think it was. I think Lamar Jackson was sort of slithering out of the grasp of the tackler. And while the tackler lay on top of Lamar Jackson, you know, his left ankle just got, you know, just got crunched. And I think it was a pretty logical, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty understandable what exactly happened to him. But I will say this, that the biggest friend of the uh, of this team right now is the schedule, Mike. Because if you look at the Ravens' schedule, I've written about this a couple of times during the course of the year, but if you would look at the Ravens' schedule, you will see how friendly it is. No team in the NFL has as friendly a schedule down the stretch of this season as the Ravens do. And I'll tell you why. After they play the game last night, okay, what you see with the Ravens after that is a tremendous break in the schedule because they then play 10 days after last night. They play at the Chargers, and then they have their bye. And then they are off after that game for 13 more days. So basically, they have in a 24-day span, something like that. In a 24-day span, they only have one game. And so at this point right now, as we sit here, the team with the best chance to get well down the stretch in the NFL is the Baltimore Ravens. And I agree with you completely that over the next several weeks, they have an opportunity to get healthy. But, Peter, as it relates to friendliness of schedule, the quality of foe for the final four games spikes it's dramatically. Tough. They've got be tough. at Jaguars, at 49ers, Dolphins, and then the Steelers to wrap up the season. And who knows where the Steelers are going to be, but we know that when the Ravens and Steelers get together, it's always a fight. So they've got four tough games that they need to gird for with this mini break. They play the two L.A. teams with, like you said, mini buy, then full buy. You're right. Opportunity for Jackson to be healthy. Opportunity for Odell Beckham Jr. to be healthy. He said after the game he'll be fine. He left after he took a big hit from Logan Wilson at the tail end of a long catch and run that Beckham made late in the game. But you mentioned the hip drop tackle, and that was the Logan Wilson special near the goal line. Before we get to that, here is the Odell Beckham Jr. turning back the clock, sort of. He's never going to turn back the clock. He's never going to be the player he was. And I think he's accepted that, and he's operating within those boundaries and making the impact he can, realizing he's not Odell Beckham Jr. of 2014, 2015, 2016. But he's going to be the best Odell Beckham Jr. of 2023 he can be. So he said he'll be fine with that shoulder. Let's show the Mark Andrews injury early in the game. The hip drop tackle by Logan Wilson down near the goal line. Here it is, first and 10. The quick pass. Andrews going for the end zone. Wilson grabs him, drops to the ground. They call it the hip drop. Basically, you grab him and you fall to get the guy down. And in the process of falling, your body weight lands on the player. And in this case, creates 
a serious ankle injury that is season-ending for Mark Andrews. Peter, let's before we talk about that, let's hear from John Harbaugh after the game talking about that moment that had Mark Andrews knocked out for the year. Well, yeah, it was definitely hip drop, hip drop tackle, to your point, and uh, it is being discussed. It's, it's a tough tackle. You know, was it even necessary in that situation? Uh, the other one on the sideline, you know, there, there's always plays that you send in uh, to the league to have them look at and interpret for you. Okay, so, Peter, they talked about getting rid of the hip drop tackle in the offseason. They decided not to do it. It's clearly an unsafe tactic. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, though. The problem is you got to get the guy on the ground. And I'm not saying that the hip drop tackle should stay. But when you take that out of the game, and thank God they've taken the old torpedo maneuver, drop your helmet and just blast the guy whenever you want, blast him into oblivion, that's out of the game, or at least it should be out of the game. You got to get the guy on the ground. And as Mark Andrews is going to the end zone and you're behind him, you got to get him to the ground. And I don't know what else you would do to get him to the ground. Again, I'm not defending it. I'd like to see it go. But in that setting, what's Logan Wilson going to do to get a Mark Andrews to the ground when he's using a full head of steam to try to get to the end zone? The question is, Mike, and this is, look, I talked to Alan Sills about this. Um, you know, obviously the NFL's medical director. Um, and I talked to Alan Sills about this because about a month ago in my column, I said, the NFL has got to stop trying to legislate every thing that is remotely dangerous out of the game. I forget exactly what I said, but it was something like that. And because in my opinion, here's how I feel, Mike. Unless you find teams that are teaching the tackling technique that Logan Wilson used on Mark Andrews, which is grab the guy and bring the full 248 pounds of your body down on his femur, his ankle, whatever. Unless unless that is being taught, how in the world are you going to get this out of the game? Like these things happen quickly. They happen in real time. Now, if it's being taught, uh, you you know, then you've got to come down on it with a hammer. I get it. But I don't know that it's being taught. And that's what that's what defensive players say right now about this play. We're not being taught that. I forget who it was. Somebody on the Colts, maybe it was Zaire Franklin, came out afterwards and said, we're not being taught this. This is just, this is playing football. You got to let us just play football. Sometimes people get hurt. So that is what, in my opinion, the league has to do. Because I think that if you legislate something like this and say you cannot have this tackle, obviously you don't want to have what resulted to Mark Andrews. But my question is, is you know Logan Wilson in that particular case doing something to absolutely purposely try to fall down with full body weight on the ankle or shin of another player. And I that's the question that has to be asked. Is this being done purposefully? Anytime you say that, I have a flashback to the original 
the longest yard with Burt Reynolds when they're doing the montage of the preparation for the prisoners to eventually play the guards in football. And one of the coaches says, this is a pair of brass knuckles. So it's, yeah. It never was quite that way in football. But, but you're right. If they're not telling them this is our technique for tackling, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to wrap this guy up and we're going to fall on his legs. And if we get lucky, he's going to get hurt and he's not going to play in the game. That's not being taught. The reality is you got to get the guy on the ground. And it's one thing to say, okay, the guy's coming at you. Here's what you do. You take your helmet to the side, the rugby tackle. You get him down that way. Well, not every tackle is made where you are running right at the guy. Sometimes you're trailing the guy. So what do you do when you're trailing the guy to get him on the ground? What do you do? We know you can't grab the top of his jersey. That's the Roy Williams rule, the horse collar tackle rule that's been in place for some 20 years now that broke Terrell Owens' ankle back in 2004, and he still came back and played in the Super Bowl. You're behind him, and you got to get him down. How do you get him down? There's no easy way to get him down, and you're trying to get him down before that ball goes across the front of of the goal line. So, you know, Peter, I'm with you. I don't like this technique. But you got to get the guy on the ground. So until it becomes flag or two-hand touch, that's what you got to do. You got to get the guy on the ground, period. And, you know, and, the, and Mike, life I cycle, the, biggest, the NFL's concern. Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead. I was going to say, I think the biggest issue with this is Alan Sills, uh, Jeff Miller in the league office, Rich McKay in the competition committee, they've had a long and involved discussions about this. And what has to happen, and this is sort of how I look at it, I think early in the offseason, and maybe, Mike, you know how the competition committee begins the discussion of what to do with rules at the NFL scouting combine. All the coaches are there. Most of the coaches are there. So I think what has to happen is let's have a discussion among the top defensive coaches in the game. Let's have 10 of them. Make it a command performance. You know, make uh, the best defensive coordinators in football. Uh, you know, and bring in Bill Belichick and bring in, you know, Lou Anarumo of the Bengals because obviously their team is is now under the microscope after Mark Andrews got hurt. But bring in some of the best people and just say, We need to find out from you, from the coaches, what's being taught right now. What tackling technique is being taught? That's number one. And number two, if we outlaw the hip drop tackle, please inform us. If we make this illegal, if we make this an ejectable offense, if we make it a heavy, finable offense, and obviously a penalty, please tell us how this hurts you. Give us some ideas. Uh, let's, let's, let's get very granular with this thing rather than just say, oh boy, you don't want that in the game. Well, who wants Mark Andrews hurt? Nobody. And I would tell you, and I'm serious about this. I don't think the Bengals want him hurt. This is, the game is just, Mike, I've been covering the game for 40 years. The game is not that way anymore. I'm just telling you, it isn't that way that it isn't. I think it all went out with Greg Williams. And I'm not saying they sit there crying if Mark Andrews is out of the game. But these guys 
have lives, have families, have careers to worry about. And I'm just telling you, they don't want Mark Andrews to go out of the game with uh, torn ligaments in his ankle, out for the year, surgery, or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is, but it's very serious. Obviously, they declared that most likely he's out for the year and he's going to have surgery. So, but what I'm saying is we need to look at this play from the ground up and we need to find out from the coaches themselves, is it being taught? And if it's not being taught, what happens if we make it illegal? I agree with you completely. And one of the reasons I think that players are more sensitive to this reality of keeping each other healthy, free agency, the movement among teams, it's not like it was in the 70s and in the 80s where you're on one team your whole career and you hate the opponent and that all festers and oozes like you know it did in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Also, Peter, this is something that Chris Sims would say if we were involving him in this conversation right now. He gets irritated when people who never played football are making the rules for football because they come up with stuff that just isn't practical. They come up with stuff that doesn't make sense, like the rule that came out of nowhere at the 2018 league meetings that it's a foul to lower your helmet and initiate contact with an opponent. That was never discussed. It wasn't presented to the media. It was something that was slapped together by legal and health and safety and given to ownership, and they voted on it without anyone having any real input on it. So you're right. There needs to be full input as to, and they always worry about unintended consequences. I personally think they just use that term as an excuse to not do things. Like, well, we can't do that. Think of the unintended consequences. This is an area where if you get rid of the hip drop tackle, you really do have to think about the consequences because they're still going to try to get the guy on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, how are you going to get the guy on the ground? And if you just can't get the guy on the ground, then it does become de facto two-hand touch. If there's no way to get a guy on the ground when you're behind him and you're trying to catch him, you can't pull his jersey high, you know, and that range has kind of bled down toward the numbers where you can't pull his jersey you, I guess you, got, you grab him around the waist, but you, what do you do? You can't fall down. You just got to grab him and hold him? Is that, the, is that yeah. how you end the play? Grab him Mike, and hold him? Is it can, Pro Bowl rules at that point? That's the problem. Mike, can we ask for this play to be run one more time? I'd like to yes, just make please. one. I, Courtney, I, I run it like one more to, time. I'd like to point out one thing about this, about how the tackle was actually made. I want you to look at this. How was the tackle actually made? So Logan Wilson, in my opinion, as you look at this, all right, it doesn't appear to me that there is any, I'm not even saying malice of forethought. He dove at Mark Andrews to try to get him down. That's what happened in this case. It did not look to me, he was sprinting at Mark Andrews and he dove at him to try to get him down. That to me there wasn't this thing where he had time he could think about it he you know and all this look at this he to me anyway i think he just tried to get the guy down any way humanly possible and if you ask him in this particular case okay you know you can't do anything to engage the legs as the player is going down I think what you said is almost exactly right. Then every player 
is going to attempt not to ever tackle a guy by the legs anymore. They're going to, unless it's an absolute shoe-top tackle, they're going to simply say, the only thing that I can do is to try to tackle them belt and higher. That's it. And, man, that really makes it tough on the defense. And that is the other alternative. It's grab them around the waist and hold them. Don't fall down. Just grab them around the waist and hold them and wait for the whistle or go for the ankles. Get them low, hold on, and they fall down. That's all you can do in that moment. But when you're close to the goal line, if you reach low, you're giving the guy, if the guy's six feet, you're giving him two yards and you add the arms in, you're giving him three yards of extension toward the goal line. The idea is... Get him down on the ground while he has the ball before he can put the ball into the end zone. And, you know, Peter, yeah. all the adjustments that have been made for player health and safety dating back to 2009 when Congress required the commissioner and Demora Smith, who was running the union at the time, to come to a hearing and answer a bunch of tough questions. The message was, if you guys don't do something about head trauma in your sport, we will, and you won't like what we do, so you better do something. All those safety-related changes since then. It started with the head, and then defensive players were saying, hey, what about us? Nobody cares about our knees. Nobody cares about, you know, chop blocks and this, that. Now, chop block was illegal then, but the crackback blocks, and it just expanded and grew into a, an unprecedented sensitivity to player health and safety, and that's fine. But there's a point where they push it to a spot where football fundamentally changes and it becomes two-hand touch or flag football. That's the danger with this. And I'm not advocating keeping the hip drop tackle in. I'm just saying you better be damn sure you know what football is going to look like without it because they've been fortunate. It's been a very slow evolution. You go back and watch some of the old games from the 80s, you're like, oh, my God, that's how they played football? But it didn't happen so suddenly that we all were like, well, I'm not watching that anymore. But that's at some point they're going to go too far potentially and they're going to make a change to the rules that alters the fundamental experience of watching a football game. At some point, football is football. And they're going to have to say, okay, we want to make it safer. We want to make it safer. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know what? This is the one thing we can't do. And maybe it is the hip drop tackle. Maybe that's why they didn't do it last year. Yeah, and and Mike, you know, I will I'll also say this the Lamar Jackson play on the sidelines. All I'm saying, you can't outlaw that. You just can't, you know, this guy is, is an incredible runner. Uh, He's like, he's Barry Sanders esque at times. And and look, I don't mean he's Barry Sanders in any way, but you, you know, you've got to do something to try to get this guy down. And at this point, when you, I mean, you know, you can't give such an advantage to the offense that you prohibit the defense from playing football. So I'm all for having, and and you know what, Mike? Scouting Combine is the perfect place to do this. Indianapolis, February 23rd next year. You know, have a day-long meeting with the best defensive minds in the game and basically say, listen, we have to fix this. There's something wrong here. Let's discuss it. And and look, what's going to happen when you discuss this, Mike? No question in my mind is that 
and and I'm just I don't mean to I don't mean I'm picking on Louis Anarumo. I'm using him as an example because his player last night was the guy who made the tackle, and that tackle injured Mark Andrews. If it is found that that tackle they want to get out of the game, let's hear from Louis Anarumo and maybe even bring Logan Wilson there. Who knows? Zaire Franklin, he's in Indianapolis. Bring him there too. Whatever, but explain what removing this tackle from the game will mean. And let's have a clear, unclouded understanding of what the game will look like if you can't, when a guy is running to the end zone, if you can't dive at him in order to try to make him stop so that he doesn't score a touchdown. That needs to be asked, and everyone in the NFL, and I'd strongly recommend that Roger Goodell be sitting in that meeting. Honestly, because he's the one I I think everybody views. And and I don't mean to get out of soapbox here, Mike, but everybody sort of views all competition committee, Rich McKay, the grand poobah of rules. And look, he's an extremely influential person. But I will say this. Nothing in the NFL happens without Roger Goodell's imprimatur on the rule. If he doesn't want it passed, It ain't getting past. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. That was put far more tactfully than I would have, and I appreciate you being the one to articulate that point, and you're absolutely positively right about it. And that's the reality. If they have this meeting, will any preconceived notions be checked at the door? Will any agendas be abandoned? Will we have a real conversation about this aimed at being creative, brainstorming, thinking ahead, applying common sense, having football people involved, not lawyers, not health and safety only, doctors, etc., people who actually have played the game and can tell you, if you take this tool out of the bag, here's what we're left with to try to tackle a football player who's trying to take the ball into the end zone. So one of the challenges the NFL has to face, and until then, the hip drop tackle is perfectly legal, and we'll see what happens in the offseason. A couple of other things, and you know, with all the injuries last night, two officiating situations that would have gotten – Plenty of criticism have been the officials were terrible, but... terrible, terrible last night. Oh my God! 
How it's about a, the Zay Flowers I mean, play, Mike? How about the Zay that's Flowers play? the first play? one. That Here was, it is. I mean, this is an insane... You know, I have to tell you something. You, you, you know, on this play, okay, the Zay Flowers play, after the game, I'm standing with Lamar Jackson, okay? And, and, and I asked him about it, and he goes, you know, we looked at the replay. Look, they call Odell Beckham Jr. for holding. Where is the hold? There's no hold. There's no hold, you know, and, and, and afterwards they, they were laughing about it. The Ravens, they're just laughing about it. And they're saying, I mean, because it was clear if that had cost them the game, they would have, they would have just been going crazy. And, and look, officials miss calls all the time. I thought the officials last night were incredibly flag happy. I, I mean, so many ticky tack calls last night it was a brutally officiated game there's a moment there if we can show it again where odell gets a a little handful of jersey and pulls it down the shoulder pads but you see that on every single play every on every play somebody's got a little handful of jersey that you know a handful of jersey is one thing using that handful of jersey to steer a guy around is another I'm blocking him, and I just happen to have a handful of jersey. That's that is something they look the other way on constantly, or they just don't see it. But see that there's that little part where you get a little bit of the shoulder pad, but that's it, and it didn't impede the guy. So I was surprised just because we see that technique all the time. Blockers trying to keep defensive linemen away from quarterbacks do it all the time. The other one too, Peter. This was in the first half. The phantom defensive pass interference call where it's like oh my where, God. where 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 <laughs> where was the pass interference like Brilliant. what was it where look well, at zach I, taylor look because, at the look on zach taylor's face do we have that it was fantastic here's dj was, turner great what, but, but, this watch, is i mean that is a he, ridiculous he, call look look at zach he taylor he bumped into him <laughs> <laughs> he like he he, it was a glancing blow. He like, he accidentally bumped into his back and didn't yeah. impede him at all. So I mean, that's that's. Uh, it reminds me. That's a reality of letting. That's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, do you remember what Marv Levy said to the official on NFL Films? You yes. over officious jerk. You. I mean that, that yes. it's these games, many of them are being bizarrely, strangely, damagingly over-officiated. Way over-officiated. Last night, I would love to hear Walt Anderson, Troy Vincent, everybody in the officiating department, I'd really love to hear them look at all of the penalties in that game last night. Everyone and say, okay, I, I, I think there were, whatever, 18 flags or something like that. There were a lot. But I would love to just look at everyone and say, we wish we had eight of those back because I bet they do. Hey, hit the bat signal. Bring Walt in like they did in that Lions-Raiders game where yeah. he just shows up out of the blue and defends a ridiculously meaningless non-call of intentional grounding on the first drive yeah. of that game. Bring him in. Hey, Walt, where was the holding there? 
Hey, Walt, where was the defensive pass interference there? See, that's the problem. They gave us that one little weird aberration of transparency. And, and I knew that for most people, it wasn't going to create an expectation that they were going to use them all the time. I think most people just looked at it as what the hell was that? Right. Yeah. It's like seeing some strange animal run across your yard. Like, I don't know what that was. And until it shows up again, I'm not going to give it another thought. That's what yeah. that was. That's what that yeah. was. So, uh, yeah, the officiating's bad. And I've been saying for years now they need to tear down the entire function and rebuild it in light of all available technologies because trusting middle-aged men and women out there who have no helmets, no padding, who are seeing things whiz by them to make reliable, consistent calls in real time, it's impossible, it's impractical. And how many times do we see these folks looking straight at something and they just don't see what their ultimate decision would suggest they saw. It's not on them. It's on the system. It goes all the way back, as some will say, to two sticks with 10 yards of chain in between it. We can do better than that. Mike, you know, last night or yesterday afternoon, I was checking into my hotel in Baltimore before I went over to the stadium. And this guy behind me recognized me and he said, hey, Peter, this officiating it's it's brutal. I, I am dead serious. I never thought this before, but I am sure now the fix is in. And these guys, these these officials, they're in on the, the, the you know, everything is scripted. There's this Mahomes gets every call. And I tried to explain to him. I said, listen, there's a difference between the fix being in and the quality of officiating. I said, because I'm going to explain something to you that the back judge who you think makes a ridiculous pro Mahomes interference call. And look there last night, there were ridiculous calls on both sides, mostly I think anti Cincinnati, but be that as it may. But I said, you have to understand something. The back judge who makes a terrible call in a game is going to on the following Tuesday, is going to get a downgrade. And what does a downgrade mean? I said, you get enough downgrades and you don't work in the postseason and you definitely don't work in the Super Bowl. And I said, in 2013, I did a week in the life of an officiating crew and I saw what happened when Gene Steratore, the referee, was having the best season of any referee in the NFL. This was November. And he got two downgrades in an Arizona-Houston game And it knocked him out. You know what he said to me? Because I was in his house in Washington, Pennsylvania. I was in Sterator's house. And he got the email. And he said, well, Pete, there goes the Super Bowl. So I I said to the guy, I didn't tell him that story, but I said, you need to understand that I don't believe for a second that the officials are in on this. And and again, look, this is I'm not saying Tim Donahue can't happen I, at all. I'm not saying it can't happen. But what I am saying is you're going to have to show me some pretty huge proof before you can tell me that these officials would risk everything, including going to jail, to have a fixes in situation in any game. I, I and And Mike, why did I bring that up? Because I want to say... I'm in favor, if you want to have full-time officials, not that I think it would really help, but if you want to have them, go ahead and have them. Try it. It's fine. But I would just maintain 
every year since I've been covering the NFL, every year at some point during the year, the same refrain is heard. Oh my God, the officiating. It's this is the worst year I ever remember. Every year that happens. So don't tell me that. I understand that there's a lot of bad officials' calls. I get it. And maybe it will be helped marginally by full-time officials. And if it is and you want to do that, go ahead. But I just think this is a sport where you're going to have horse crap calls. And there's not a lot you can do about it. I think there's more that they can at least try to do. And this is the key, perception and reality. Perception, the game is rigged. Perception, the fix is in. Why is that perception stronger now than ever before? I'm going to read a quote to you from 2012, and I'm going to ask you to tell me who said this. If gambling is permitted freely on sporting events, normal incidents of the game, such as bad snaps, drop passes, turnovers, penalties, and play calling, inevitably will fuel speculation, distrust, and accusations of point shaving or game fixing. Who said that in 2012? Roger Goodell. Exactly. And that's what's happened, Peter. The reality is the fix isn't in. The reality is they're not good enough to fix it. They're not good enough to do it right. There's no way they'd be good enough to fix it. It requires a level of skill and execution far beyond their capabilities. That's the reality. But perception is reality. And the perception now has been fueled by the very thing that Roger Goodell argued when opposing legalized gambling 11 years ago. If you allow this to infiltrate the sport, things that otherwise are normal and explainable and rational become the fixes in. Somebody's getting paid. Somebody wants that team to win. Somebody has, oh, I I hear this all the time now. Well, it's no surprise that the Bills lost the other night because 85% of the spread money with DraftKings Sportsbook was on the Bills, and the NFL is trying to help out this company that's paying the NFL all these millions of dollars. See, that's the problem. The NFL fought against it and fought against it and fought against it for decades. And the moment they realized there was money to be made, they jumped right into bed. And they didn't have to. goes back to what we said earlier. Roger Goodell said to Mike Tirico, I'm looking at the quote right here. When the Supreme Court overruled that, we have to be in that space. No, you don't. You can hate gambling as much when it's legal as you hated it when it was illegal. And, Peter, the fact that they are grabbing every last dollar, everywhere you go, there's a gambling ad with an NFL shield on it. That creates an urgency and a significance to eradicating the perception because it fuels the perception. You and I know it's not fixed. Most people look at it and say, ha, ha. Oh, it's fixed. That's the problem. So so that's why they need full-time officials. That's why they need to revamp the entire process. They need to create the impression they're doing something to make it better to counter the perception that it's all fixed. Yeah, I think the reason, one of the reasons why, and Mike, it happens on this show, you have to admit, you know, your show, this show is in part sponsored by uh, one of the gambling concerns and every single show on television that has anything to do with the NFL. Everyone, every single one. There's a reason why there won't be many voices in the wilderness like yours. And, and, And I think it's because most of the people understand 
including many of the people whose checks are signed by an NFL entity, whether it be an owner or whether it be Roger Goodell, you know, like an NFL network. This is our landscape. We're not going to bite the hand that feeds feeds us. And so that's why I think that there aren't going to be as many people screaming and baying at the moon about gambling. Well, and meanwhile, the Tim Donahue type scandal is lurking and it's going to come. And I think, Peter, the stewards of the game are willing to make the bet, pun intended, that it's going to happen after they're gone. The current commissioner, you know what? Maybe this can happen. I'm not worried about it. I'm landing the plane. I got four years left. And maybe he'll do another three or four years after that. Who knows? But I think there's just a, an attitude of we'll let the next regime deal with this. We're just going to get out of here while the getting's good and make as much money along the way as we can to get closer and closer to that what once seemed pie-in-the-sky goal of what was it, $27 billion or twenty? There's some magical number that Roger Goodell has been hoping for by way of annual revenue for the NFL, and it keeps getting closer to what sounded ridiculous. I don't know if you remember the number, but there's some number he wants to get to. So this... You know, it's almost like the light bulb, you know, like how in the old cartoons, the light bulb goes off over somebody's head. They fought against gambling yeah. and fought against gambling and fought against gambling. And then it's illegal. And the light bulb went off. Ho oh, ho. We could make a lot of money off of this. You know, why did why did we fight this so hard? We could get a lot closer to that multi multi billion dollar revenue goal. So that's the reality. And I think and this is why I always try to hold the current stewards of the game accountable. I don't think it's good enough to say, we'll let somebody else worry about it. They should worry about it now and they should fix it now. And I don't see anything that causes me to believe that they care, that they're concerned or that they're doing things aimed at preventing a Tim Donahue type of a thing. Not that it would just be an official, but something that would resonate and cross over and get people prosecuted and get people sued and be the top story when Lester Holt walks out and says, good evening, this is NBC Nightly News. You don't want that. And I feel like it's inevitable if they don't do something. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for now and give you the last word. I'm not arguing with you at all. I think the other part of this that nobody really talks about is that we're looking at six, eight years, maybe 10 years down the road of there to be on every street corner. Well, not every street corner, but on 50% of the street corners in America there will be places that will advertise even more than Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, because this is going to be a, a pox on our society. There are, going to be, there are going to be lives ruined from coast to coast because of the ease of gambling. Going all the way back to high school, Mike, I got a letter from a guy recently who basically said that in my son's high school, there is, in essence, a bunch of kids who are using their parents' accounts uh, on whatever it is. I don't know, DraftKings. I, I don't know what it is. But they're using their parents' accounts, and they're gambling every day, you know, on sports. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know where they get the money. But you think that stops when they go to college and they say, hey, you know, I'm going to college now. I'm about to be an adult. I'm not going to do that. No. By that time, you are so hooked. You're, you're in it hook, line, and sinker that it's over. Every day of your life, you're thinking. You're in the middle of your calc class 
you know, Calc 101 at, at, at State U. And you're not thinking about the exam this week. You're thinking about how can I make 100 bucks this weekend on the NFL? And just I'm just telling you, you know, everybody is saying, hey, listen, you can't, uh, you, you know, you got to have freedom. You have to allow people to do what they want to do. Well, see how many lives are ruined, absolutely, totally, unalterably ruined by sports gambling. It's coming like a freight train down the tracks. And it might arrive right about the time the NFL deals with a major gambling scandal, and maybe that'll happen when there's a current or when there's a a completely new regime at the league office that's going to have to clean up that mess that could have been avoided if they were more concerned about it now, and they're not, and I wish they would be. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, another AFC North battle is looming between the Steelers and the Browns. Will things go better this time for rookie quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson? We'll discuss that next on PFC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service.